Bouncing ball. Fair ball. It's a walk-off. Acuna sends us home with a 5-4 victory. They tried, but they couldn't kill me. This is Steve Bennett, the host of the Sportscasters, back for Season 9, Episode 14, after a hiatus, so I can have my second surgery uh, since March, and my uh, ninth surgery, tenth surgery overall, and seventh surgery since 2003. Uh, we'll talk more about that in one last thing. Great show today for you. Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders uh, is here today to join us. He comes on the show every year to talk about the Football Outsiders Pro Football Almanac. And we preview the season a little bit, talk about what his computers, they do 1 million simulations of a season. And uh, they get the numbers. And their favorite to win the Super Bowl this year, winning it 12% of the time in those simulations is the New Orleans Saints. Also on the program today is Michael Fabiano. Michael Fabiano is a friend of the program, one of the nicest guys in fantasy football. Let me tell you a story. A, a while ago, I was trying to book um, Seth Davis, who I, I don't think it's any secret. Uh, I'm not a big fan of, and this is this is a big reason why is because of this interaction. You know, I sent him a pitch. It was March. It was basketball was heating up. I sent him a pitch, and he said, "Yeah." This would be really fun. Why don't you email me after the Final Four? I just thought, well, I don't want to talk to you after the Final Four. You know, that's pointless. There's certain people who will not come on this program when they're busy. And then there's people like Lee Jenkins who will call me from his hotel room right before walking across the street to cover Game 1 of the NBA Finals. Or people like Luke Wynn who would call me to do an interview every week. Uh, the Monday or Tuesday after uh, the bracket came out to talk college basketball before the tournament started on Thursday so that I could get it up. And uh, and then there's people like Michael Fabiano who, no matter what's going on, makes time every August to talk fantasy football so we can get some draft, uh, you know, some sleepers and some busts and, you know, all the kind of things you talk about. I also talked to Michael a little bit about the game and where he sees fa- uh, fantasy football headed and uh, why people should play on NFL.com. And he hinted at a pretty incredible new feature on their app. Uh, sounded like maybe a all 12 type video situation. I'm not exactly sure, but you can hear that interview. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to do Aaron's shots in a second. Uh, then we'll do the book club. Then we'll do Fabiano. And then one last thing. And I'll talk a little bit more about my health. Uh, before we get to all that, uh, sort of a somber note here. I wanted to say rest in peace to Don Banks. Uh, Don Banks, one of the nice guys, really. Always a lot of fun to try to book him. He he was, um, I would write him and I would try to book him. And sometimes he'd be into it and sometimes he wouldn't. But he was always honest and always cool to me. And he'd always eventually came on. I think probably had him on three or four times. And he also did the Football Nation show. Remember, he was one of our guests on there. 
when Don and I did that back in 2012, I believe. And um, he passed away tragically in his in his hotel room covering the Hall of Fame. 16 days ago, I quoted his tweet where he announced that he would be covering the Raiders for the Las Vegas Review or Journal or whatever the Las Vegas newspaper is. And I know that Don had been frustrated with the lack of... He wanted a platform for his work. His Snap Judgments column was even on Patriots.com for a while, despite the fact that it was more of a national column. And I was so excited for Don. I knew he was pumped. Uh, and I tweeted to him and congratulated him. And now 16 days later, he, he's just off the planet and he's gone. And it puts a lot into perspective for me, especially someone who's been battling his health. You just have to enjoy, I guess, every day. I know it's cliche, but when things like this happen, you just take a step back and look at your own life and think, man, I hope I'm doing enough every day to to uh, to justify my spot here on this earth because, man, it's precious and it's fleeting and it's it happens quick. I, I know Don isn't the only former guest of the Sportscasters who passed away because I know uh, Frank DeFord, obviously, as well. I don't know if they're the only two, though. They might be. Uh, either way, it's tragic and very sad, and I wanted to... Uh, wish the best to Don Banks. This this episode of the podcast is dedicated to Don and his family. Uh, rest in peace, Don. All right, we'll be right back with Aaron Schatz. Our first guest today is from Massachusetts. He's a graduate of Brown. He is the main man of Football Outsiders and is nice enough to come join us every year to talk about his almanac and the One Million Simulations. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Aaron Schatz. What's up, Aaron? How you doing, man? Thank you so much for doing this again. I appreciate it. Look forward to it every year. I am, I am good. I'm ready for another season. We've done all the preseason stuff that we need to do, and we've come out with the projections, and we've come out with the book, and now I'm ready for the Football. I'm ready for the real football, not the preseason football. I'm ready for the real thing. We've got to go through four weeks of preseason first, then yeah. we get the real thing. I have to be honest. I, I still need the four weeks. The I, I I think you know this, but I've been a Saints fan since I was seven years old, and the way the last two seasons have ended, I just I'm just not quite ready yet. I I did. Turn... At the same time, I turn on the TV and it's like you look at the fourth quarter of the Hall of Fame game. And it's just a lot of who are these guys. So, Right. Well, yeah, I mean, preseason football still stinks either way. But I just don't like – I know that if the Saints in Houston was tomorrow, I mean, I'd find a way to be ready, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not like I would uh, be like, yeah, you know, it still hurts too bad. I'll wait till week three. Like I'd find a way to get in there. You know what I mean? But, um, yeah, it makes me nervous too because the Saints have never been great front runners. Um, we're a little bit better in that spot we were a couple years ago after a few seven and nines and nobody really thinks much and they kill that draft and then boom, it's, you know, away they go. Uh, I get a little nervous when they're 12% to win the Super Bowl on a top of football outsiders. We'll, we'll talk about them real yep. quickly and move on. What does what football outsiders like about him so much this year? What, what, sorry, what's the question? Well, just what, what, what is it about this Saints team? Uh, that the computers and the stats and everything you guys do is so favorable? 
Well, they've been good for two years now, so you don't you don't end up with that. You know, re- regression towards the mean every team sort of faces. But we also have this thing called the plexiglass principle, which states that teams that make significant improvement tend to decline the following year. And but when you've been good for two or three years in a row, you don't have that effect. So the Saints have been good on both sides of the ball for two years now. And both sides of the ball is an important part of that. I mean, they we have them projected top ten in both offense and defense, right? So, so they 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 didn't lose a lot of talent. They added talent by adding Jared Cook. Uh, I mean, you lose Mark Ingram, but he's not your main running back anymore. Kamara is. Um, there's good continuity on the offensive line. Obviously, they're going to be breaking in a new center, but the rest of the offensive line has strong continuity and good. Breeze is still one of the top quarterbacks in the league. So we just have them really good all around. Yeah, I love that offensive line, too. I love those guys, Ramchick and Pete and Armstead, who I know can be injury-prone a little bit. But I, I think they're a, little, they're a little bit of an underrated aspect of the team. I mean, those guys can be real ass-kickers up there. i really going to miss Unger, but I, I believe in these guys they brought in. I still love that, the core of that offensive line. The other thing is that their defense last year, one of the things that we've discovered is, okay, it, this sounds strange because pass defense is much more important than run defense. But run defense predicts the following year better than pass defense does. And the Saints were a much, much better run defense than pass defense last year. I mean, it's almost to the point where run defense predicts, I mean, run, run defense predicts overall defense better than pass defense does. So a really strong run defense like that is an indicator that their pass defense is likely to improve. I know that sounds strange, but that's what we found over the last few years. So, you know, that's another thing that keeps their 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 defense strong in our projections. Let me ask you this, and it's not just necessarily about the Saints, but in general. That run defense last year, I remember everyone was like, oh, it's fake. People just throw all over them, so their run numbers are, you know, protected because people just don't run or – you, you know, uh, they're just, it's just, you know, they attack, get attacked in the air so much. Do you find that in your studies? Because I kept waiting for the for that running back to come in then and torch them for 250 yards, and it just never happened. You know, I think maybe. Well, I mean, like, that's not how we measure, that's not how we measure run defense, right? So we measure efficiency per play. And we're measuring it based on the down and distance compared to an average play, right? So. If the average run on first down is, let's say the average run is four yards on, on first down, uh, or let's say this, actually. Let's say the average run on first down is three yards. A four-yard run is actually a negative play, according to like expected points added. Right. But it's a positive play, according to, to DVOA, for the running backs, at least, because you compare all the runs to all other runs. Now, for team stats, that's different, because for team stats, we compare all plays to all other plays. But still, we're, we're comparing all first and tens to all first and tens, all third and tens to all third and tens. So it's not like um, if the pass defense puts them in certain situations, you know, keeps them from running in certain situations where running is easy, it doesn't matter to us because we're only measuring the situations in which teams actually do run the ball. And when you look at that, you know, we have New Orleans last year with the third best run defense in the game. Yeah, and that's actually kind of a point you made in your introduction this year, too, was how important context is when studying these stats and how important it is. I think you made the exact point about running the ball and how 
like say all three yard runs aren't equal. It might be a failure on first down, but on third and two, a three yard run isn't you know a winning play, a great play. Um, and I think you made that point. You were trying to make that point. I think overall in your introduction about how important context is in the study. You want to expand on that a little bit more? Yeah, that's really what Football Outsiders is all built on. Like everything I've been doing for 16 years started with the idea that all yards are not created equal and that what's important is the yards based on the situation. And that's what's important is comparing performance in a situation to performance by other teams and players in the same situation. I mean, you know, it's a lot easier to convert third and one than it is to convert, you know, second and ten. Uh, so if you convert third and one more often, you know, it doesn't make you better because you convert third and one more often than you convert second and 10, because it, everybody converts third and one more often than they convert second and 10. So you have, we look at every play as an individual opportunity to outperform the average based on the situation of the game. Another point, it seemed like you really wanted to make this year, it's something I've noticed on your Twitter and in the introduction uh, to the Almanac, is just about the rise of analytics in general, the rise among the teams, and the breaking of the perception of these guys are nerds in their parents' basement, crunching numbers for fantasy football. Um, that perception has gone away to, wow, look at how brilliant these guys are, look at the way they've looked at the game, and how can I make my team better by evaluating what we're doing based on DVOA and these statistics. Um, you want to talk a little bit about the evolution of uh, statistical analytics and how you feel about being a part of that? Sure. I mean, when, when I started 16 years ago, there weren't any teams that had uh, an analytics guy that they called an analytics guy. They had uh, teams would have a you know quality control where they would look at you know, tendencies from their next opponent, uh, which is, in effect, is analytics. But, um, you know, now you have a lot of teams will have an analytics person uh, or a staff even. Um, Baltimore just hired three people. <laughs> and they hired three people that did it on the web. I mean, you have to remember, when I started, I had to cut and paste all the play-by-play from ESPN into a big spreadsheet. Now you have things like NFL Scrape R, where anybody who understands the R language can get a free database of NFL play-by-play that's constantly updated during games to analyze. So there's been a like explosion in the last year or two in free analysis that people do, mostly that they put on Twitter, which I think is a little weird because it's not the best place to put analysis that everybody's going to remember for a long time. Like I keep wanting to say to all these analytics people, like submit your stuff to football outsiders as an article. So it's, it's anchored in a place where you can send people a URL of where your work is easier. And it doesn't have to be in 260 character bits or whatever, but right. uh, what 280 character bits. Um, anyway, there's just been a huge explosion of people doing analytics and a big explosion of teams hiring people. Now let's see what happens if, the analytics people start to get through to coaches about a lot of these old sawhorses that, you know, uh, that, that analytics has shown to be incorrect, uh, or, you know, analytics has shown you're starting to see more teams spread things out more, more teams run more play action, but we really aren't, uh, 
more, teams are being more aggressive on fourth and ones, but they're not being as aggressive as analytics say they should be. Teams are not being as pass-heavy as analytics say they should be. They're uh, paying running backs less, but not quite to the extent that analytics say they should be. Like It's going to be really interesting to see that push and pull over the next few years between what analytics departments are finding and what the coaches, you know, old-school folks want to do and how they grew up on football. Yeah, one thing I was pumped about when reading the Saints chapter is your writer just made the point about how aggressive the Saints were on fourth down and how great that was for their offense. I think they went for it almost 18, 19 times, and they were very successful. I think they only missed two. I don't remember the exact numbers, but they did Peyton's always been very aggressive on fourth downs. He's one of the most aggressive coaches in the league and always has been. Yeah, and it's and you know what has been different? It's not like this... Oh, he's a riverboat gambler guy. It's it's been more perceived as like, oh, he's aggressive and he believes in his offense kind of a guy. It's been interesting the way, you know, people have described it on television and in other places uh, when watching it. I think that that's more of it. I think that the way people have responded and described it has been a positive for the statistical revolution. I mean, people aren't looking at him as like this crazy gambler. They're more looking at him as someone who you know is playing the numbers and believes in his talent, that kind of a thing. Yeah, well, I mean, I've always felt like uh, the reticence to go for it on fourth and one uh, seems very strange to me because from a non-analytical point of view, there are positives to it. Like, you know, you quote-unquote send a message to your team that you believe in them. And, um, I mean, there are non-analytical reasons to go for it more often on fourth and one also. (laughs) The fact is that when fans would scream for teams to go for it on fourth and one before analytics existed, they didn't do that because they had a natural understanding of how the expected points added in situations worked. They did that because they liked aggressiveness and they felt like, like it gave their team confidence. And, and so those, you know, those are good non-analytical reasons to be more aggressive. Right. The old intangible, you know, especially in the road, like, Hey, we came to Atlanta to win today. Look at that. We're going for it. We came to win. We want seven, not three. You know, that kind of attitude. Yep. Yep. I, I kind of skipped over this. You got me excited about that. But a good friend of this program, Luke Wynn, big analytics guy, did the best power rankings column I ever read on college basketball on ESPN. Or no, it's SI. I'm sorry. SI.com. He just won a ring with the Raptors and analytics. Um, Lee Jenkins is over to um, to the Clippers. I don't know what his role exactly is. I don't think it's analytics. But it might be. I'm not sure. Uh, but more and more Raiders are going to teams, and a lot of them are going for analytics. Is it anything you'd ever consider? Would you want to take your talents as a statistical analyst and, and do it at the team level? There are a couple of reasons why I've never taken a job with a team. I I enjoy entertaining people too much. I like being in the media, right? I like having a readership. Um I don't really want to leave the Boston area, which I would need to do to work for a team other than the Patriots. Right. Uh, and I'm honestly, uh, I'm honestly too lazy to be perfectly <laughs> honest. The hours that people who work for NFL teams keep are insane. Yeah. And I'm so not a morning person that I could not do this thing where you come in at 7 a.m. that NFL people do. Like, I just I would not function. That's fair. Those are all very fair, especially the 7 a.m. thing, too. I tend to be nocturnal myself. Um, 7 a.m. is rough. Uh, that's interesting. 
I love your loyalty to Boston, by the way, too. Love that. I feel the same way about Well, I also have a kid here, so... Yeah, fair, too, but, I mean, I love that. I mean, that. That, that's, a good, that's a good reason not to move to some other city, is, is to be near my daughter. I love that. I love roots. You know, I'm a fan of roots, so to speak. My brother came home after being gone playing hockey for, like, seven or eight years. Like, one of the happiest days of my life. It's like, he picked Buffalo again. Um, you, you tweeted recently, really, I thought it was a really interesting tweet about how... Because I always bang this drum... I always tell my friends, too, as I do it myself, but you tweeted about how, you know, in the past, I think I kind of mentioned it, and in the past, people would look at an- look at analysts as, like, these fantasy nerds, and you kind of made the point about how running back is the most important position in fantasy football, but it's one of the least important things in, in analytics, but when I read that, I was like, that's really interesting, but I hope he doesn't not promote the fact about how great football outsiders is for fantasy and what an edge people can get by studying the almanac before their drafts and getting ready and using the content on the site and the partnerships. And I wanted to give you a second to talk about how great football outsiders is for fantasy players. Cause I have a ton of them who listen and I, I, I convert at least one every year, but um, what a great resource, right? Well, thank you. I mean, I appreciate that. No, I mean, we do a lot of writing that is more fantasy focused because we know that our audience is made up a lot of people who play fantasy football. You just, you, you know, you have to understand when when we're talking about something that's more fantasy oriented and when we're talking about something that's not. Um, when I said that on, on Twitter, I was talking more about the big questions about, like, do running backs matter? <laughs> uh, but we do a lot of fantasy analysis. I mean, one of the things in, in Football Outsiders Almanac is that we have our Kubiak fantasy football projection system. So we do projections for over 500 players. And then we have the fantasy application on our website, which is this year's brand new is on the web rather than in Excel. It used to be that you had to have Excel, and then you had to download this Excel macro spreadsheet. And every time we updated it during the preseason, you had to download a new spreadsheet and re-input your league's rules. Uh, now we don't have that. If you buy the fantasy projections, you get it on the web. Uh, you can save, like, multiple league rules. And then uh, every time we update it, your league will automatically update with the changes. So that's, you know, we, we pride ourselves on doing a lot of fantasy information. Uh, it's a big part of what we do, even if it's, you know, the, the, the advice we give fantasy owners is different than the advice that we give NFL owners, right? How you spend your money in your auction as a fantasy owner is different than how you spend your salary cap with a real NFL team. Yeah, and if you go to footballoutsiders.com, there's a bunch of packages for like 100 bucks. A little bit over 100 bucks. You can get all this stuff for the whole season. You can get the Almanac. You can get premium access to the site. Uh, the Kubiak projections that he talked about, which are great for drafts um, and the weekly projections. And, I mean, if you look at it like this, if you win one league because of this, $100 league, 12 teams, that's probably like a $600 payday. Um, so great value there. Uh, let's talk real quick about a couple of things I was curious about. How much does Ezekiel Elliott change the Cowboys win projections if he doesn't play this year well it's interesting because in our current system it would change it a little bit more than than it might in a later system one of the things i want to study in the future is we, we have a variable in our win projection system that uh that adjusts teams based on personnel changes and it's based on 
the personnel changes at the skill positions on offense based on our DYAR stats, defense-adjusted yards above replacement. Uh, what we need to study for the future is what happens if we separate that variable into two variables, one for running back and one for tight ends and wide receivers, because uh, the fact is that so much of analytics has shown that running backs are far more replaceable than wide receivers are. And look at just what happened with Kareem Hunt last year in Kansas City when Kareem Hunt stopped playing uh, because he was cut after the domestic violence, uh, not domestic violence, after the violence uh, video came out and everything. Uh, the running backs that played in his stead just picked right up where he left off, suggesting that so much more of running back value is actually offensive line and scheme value, not the running back himself. Same thing goes with Todd Gurley and C.J. Anderson. So in the current system, it would hurt Dallas uh, in our projections a good amount to not have Ezekiel Elliott play. But I think in our future system it may hurt less like we have to do some work on this right because well, i mean the chargers is another example where their second favorite um to win the super bowl at 10.5 percent i assume that's with melvin gordon right with him factor right in. right yeah. and the same thing happens if gordon doesn't play or if gordon gets traded we we may uh you know we have to look at at how much uh losing your running back matters versus losing players in other positions Right, like maybe like A.J. Green's injury may be more of a blow. If he misses three games, is that is, is your guess that that's a bigger blow to Cincinnati than if, say, Elliott held out three games and then came back kind of like Emmett Smith did in the 90s when he missed the two games and then yes. came back? Yeah. Yes, if A.J. Green misses games, that's a bigger blow than if Ezekiel Elliott or, Mark, or Melvin Gordon misses games, especially Melvin Gordon because we know he's got quality backups. Right, right. I was, it's interesting, too, because that's – hearing your explanation there, I was thinking about the Chiefs and how quickly they showed Hunt the door versus how more restrained they were with Tyreek Hill, you know, waiting, let's wait for the facts, let's see what happens, let's see what plays out. I know there was a video in the one and not a video in the other, but I wonder if analytics and it being running back versus wide receiver played a part in their decision to wait for the process to play yeah, out. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that other. was the case. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I never thought of that. They don't need analytics to feel like Tyreek Hill is a is an unmatchable speed player, and that they, uh, yeah, that they can't they can't afford to lose him, and so they're going to wait that out as much as possible. You guys do what twenty thousand or so simulations? How many simulations do you do? Oh, a season? million. Oh, a million. Um, when yeah. You, when you did during the during the season when we update our playoff odds every week, it's between thirty and fifty thousand. But for the book, it's a million. Yeah. When you did the million simulations, you started looking at the data. Was there a team on either end of "Wow, that's better than I thought" or "Wow, that's worse than I thought"? Detroit. Okay. Which side were they on? Better than you thought? We have Detroit at eight point three, averaging eight point three wins, which is much higher than I would have expected. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Um, there's a few reasons. We have their defense. Uh, we have them improving on both sides of the ball. Some of that is rebounding to previous performance. Remember, this was a 9-17 and 17 two years ago. Uh, on defense, they have the same strong, much stronger run defense than pass defense thing that New Orleans has. They also have, uh, they were very, very low last year in takeaways per drive. And that's something that heavily regresses towards the mean. They were 31st in the league in that last year. So that's a, that right there suggests that their defense is going to be um, a good amount better this year. And um, 
on offense, we like some of the players, you know, that they picked up the talent with Hawkinson, the, the tight end, and then Jesse James was really strong last year for Pittsburgh. Um, and, yeah, overall, just, some rebound and, and, and also no longer having coaches in the first year of the scheme. Right? I was just going to ask that. The fact that. is that the teams take a step back, all of the things being equal. Teams take a step back in the first year of a new scheme and they, and they take a step forward in the second and third years of a new scheme. And then Detroit is in the second year of new, uh, of new scheme on defense. Uh, and on offense, there, it's, it's a new offensive coordinator. So that's actually a little bit of a step back. I have to do it, my most loyal listener, since episode one is my mom. So i got to ask you just a couple Bills questions real quick. Uh, what did the computers think of Josh Allen last year, and do you see him as a viable top-tier quarterback going forward? Even mid-tier. I'm well, sure we, we, had, we had Josh Allen near the bottom of the league in passing value. Uh, he, you know, he had a lot of running value for a quarterback. Obviously, he's a fantastic scrambler, but we had him near the bottom of the league in passing value. And our projection system that projects players from college to the pros is just not going to project very well for a player whose college performance was as bad as Josh Allen's college performance is, even after you adjust for the idea that he didn't have you know quality teammates. So I'm not a Josh Allen believer. Didn't you tell me I mean, last year he was one of the worst ever in terms of first-round quarterbacks based on your projections? I thought you said that last year. In passing, in passing, he comes out with one of the worst rookie seasons ever for a first-round quarterback. Yeah, but he did have the rushing value. He wasn't as bad as Josh Rosen. Okay. But then Rosen, I mean, look at the way the team around him was. I mean, it's, you know, as bad as things were for Buffalo receiver-wise, for Arizona, it was the offensive line just fell apart. What do you guys think of the quarterbacks this year? How does how does the um, the kid from Duke go and where he went with the Giants, which was such a polarizing pick. How does that look on a computer? Um, he doesn't do too he, – he, he comes as kind of average in, in our Q-based projections. So I think that that was a bit of an overdraft. Like, yeah. He's a player that normally you would have gone later because he, uh, he also didn't have great performance. And um, with him, there's a little bit more of a, an asterisk on it because he played a very hard schedule uh, at Duke, but he uh, – you know, he, he also didn't have strong teammates, but at the same time, like, the, the, the quality performance is not there. But he, he had a little bit more experience than Alan did, so he comes out a little bit better in our projection system. Um, it, it's really interesting this year uh, because, you know, one of the big variables in our projection system is this college experience thing. And the top two prospects, they, they were not the top two guys to go, but they were generally considered the top two prospects, only had one year as starters. So we only have one year of uh, Dwayne uh, Hopkins, and we only have one year of Kyler Murray. And here's the thing. like The number of quarterbacks with only one year of starting experience in college who have been drafted in the first two rounds over the last 30 years is so minimal that it's like it's not even like it's a bad sample. It's like a non-existent sample. It's like Mark Sanchez and Brock Osweiler and Cam Newton, if you don't count junior college, and then a guy named Matt Blunden, and that's it. Like, that's not even a bad sample. Uh, and Mitchell Trubisky. That's, that's just a non-existent sample. Uh-huh. I mean, we don't even know what Trubisky is yet. Right. So, so like, to compare Murray and Hoskins uh, to those guys is like, well, I don't know. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I'm real surprised I was that day. The Giants didn't take the edge rusher with the early pick and then take the quarterback – with their later I pick. think that a lot of people yeah. felt that they could have gotten away with that. Yeah, and an edge rusher is generally a more valuable player than a nose tackle. Dave Gettleman. 
is still living in old school football where he believes that that run stopping nose tackle is of so much importance to him. I'd much rather have the edge rusher. I would much rather have Josh Allen, the edge rusher and Jones or Josh Allen and Dwayne Haskins than I would Jones. And uh, I can't remember the name of the nose tackle that they took. Sportscaster here finishing up with our friend Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders. He's nice enough to come on every year around this time, which is a busy time for a guy like Aaron. I appreciate it so much. Uh, his stuff is fantastic. The Football Outsiders Almanac, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, it's a great buy in there. And, of course, you can go to footballoutsiders.com for more information or a package, especially if you're a fantasy player. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. And you can always find uh, more information about the site and what's going on on Aaron's Twitter, which is at F-O underscore A-S-C-H-A-T-Z. Let me ask you one or two quick ones more. Uh, What do you look at when when you look at the future of Football Outsiders? What do you see? How how do you want the site to evolve and change over the next two, three, four, five years? Uh, We're going to be doing more... um... We're going to be doing more fantasy stuff now that we've hired Scott Spratt as one of our full-time writers, uh, starting with a sit-start column this year. And he, he's done a lot of fantasy work in the past. He did fantasy stuff for Pro Football Focus. Um, and then we're also looking to automate PVOA. I still use a very old you know, a system with a lot of manual, uh, manual in- inputs. And we're, we're trying to automate that so that we can, it makes it a lot easier for us to do new research. The, um, the I also want to, oh, want to finish sorry. doing old years. Yeah. What year are you doing? Too? 1983. Oh, uh, oh I want wow. To finish doing 1983 through 85. Wow. Very cool. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see where that bears team from 85 ends up on the charts. Oh, so am I. Yeah. It's Cause they're such a talked about team and yeah, that'd be really interesting. I can't wait to. To hear about I mean, I that. tend to I tend to think that's the best team of all time, so I really can't wait to have them in my numbers. Such a fun team to like read about and uh, and watch shows about too. Like so many characters, and um, I mean Walter Payton and Jim McMahon and all the guys in that defense. That would be a really cool team. That'll be really interesting. So you uh, you guys are eighty six on right? Who's the best team of all time according to the computers in that range? Nineteen ninety nine. Sorry, nineteen ninety one. Washington. Ooh, they killed the Bills in the Super Bowl. The Rippin team. Uh, yes, that's yeah. the Mark Rippin team. The Mark Rippin team. They're the only team that's in the top 30 of all time for all three units. Wow. See, but if you ask Bills fans, if Thurman Thomas just would have had his helmet on, he would have scored on like the second play of the game. They showed this like vague tape where it looks like there's a hole that supposedly Thurman Thomas would have ran off and 7 nothing, and they would have sailed from that point on. But, I mean, the way that football works, that Washington team is so outstanding. But it was really a one-year team. It was. Yeah, so you know, the they, Bears were to some degree, they, too, right? Yeah, the, the the Bears had a strong defense every year. But that was the only year their offense was good enough for them to be an all-time great team. So when you talk about all-time great teams in football, there's really a difference between, like, teams over a significant span and then teams that just had one fantastic year uh, because, because – uh, that 91 Washington team was really, it was really that one year because there have been a lot of change since the 87 Super Bowl champions. Right. Yeah. Um, oh, really great guy. Our friend Adam Lazarus has a really great book about the earlier um, Redskins teams. 
a uh, really great book. Uh, if anyone wants to look that up, uh, Adam Lazarus is the author, and he has a really cool book about Super Bowl twenty five too, uh, with the Bills and the um, Giants. Uh, where does the St. Super Bowl forty four team fit in? Where does the the Saints team that won Which Super Bowl forty four? Oh, they're. I mean, they they were only fifth or sixth for that year. Although one of the reasons is because that I don't adjust for when teams sit starters at the end of the year. Okay. And they sat starters at the end of the year. So that's, I mean, that's one of the top, I think uh, that actually the top Saints team of all time in DVOA, believe it or not, is um, 2017. Two years ago. The Vikings team? Yeah, that's the only time that the Saints have been number one for the entire season. Mm-hmm. And the two thousand the two thousand nine team that won the Super Bowl is actually the fifth best Saints team of the last thirty three years by DVOA because they sack guys at the end of the year and so they fall behind the eighty seven team that was ten and two not counting strike games the two thousand and eleven team that was thirteen and three and the nineteen ninety two team that was twelve twelve and four yeah that's that was a team that had the best defense in the league. Yep, and then they blew the play. With I'm trying to think, was that the year they blew the playoff game to the Eagles or the Falcons? One of those. I don't remember one specifically. Of those, 1991 yeah. was another team with a really, really strong defense that comes out strong in our numbers. They were just never quite good enough versus San Francisco in that era. You know, as good as they were, it was like they were always not quite as good as as the San Francisco teams. Um, is there anything else you want to plug? I know I laid a bunch of stuff out, but you wanted just a clean space here to lay some stuff out. Yeah, well, again, I mean, if you go to footballoutsiders.com slash store, you'll see all of our products. So um, we have the, the Kubiak preseason fantasy projections app. We have weekly fantasy projections that you can get for all throughout the season to help you uh, set your lineup or if you're a DFS player. We have NFL charting data, uh, which gives you updated data throughout the season about stuff like play action and cornerback coverage and broken tackles. And then we have our premium database that gives you weekly uh, weekly picks of the spread and expanded player pages and a DVOA database that goes all the way back to 86. So uh, all these things are available at footballoutsiders.com. Uh, and then, of course, the Almanac is $20 in PDF form and $28.95 in print. You can get the print also from Amazon, but you can also get there through our site. I was thinking about how a couple of years ago we were talking about how you did the million simulations and the Browns had won the Super Bowl like in eight of them. And I just yeah. I just pray like one year after Breeze retires though, I don't want this cast during Breeze's career. But I just pray for one time that one that season comes up and we get to see we get to live the chaos of like you know Here here's the thing though. If that season ever happened, you wouldn't quite know it. Because there's there's the ideal knowledge of how good a team is. And then there's how good a team looks on the field. If you ever had a situation where one of the worst teams in the league managed to stumble its way into a Super Bowl, they would do it because the sort of random variation of performance would mean they'd get, you'd end up with the high side of their performance more often than not. So they actually would look better than they really were. Because if you think about it, we only know how good teams are from what we see on the field. We don't know, like, we can't, like, see magical numbers that tell us how the teams rank from 1 to 32 in, like, platonic 
uh, quality. So if there ever was a year where like the worst team actually won at all, like you wouldn't know they were the worst team. What they would they would look like is they would look like they would look like the 2011 Giants. Okay. They would look they would look like a team that went like nine and seven or ten and six and broke into the playoffs in a bad division, and then went on a run in the playoffs. You wouldn't know that they were truly the worst team in the league when it came to like actual platonic quality because they would play they would play better than that. Which is sort of why you want to chart 1985 to see just how good the Bears really were, right? Because you can well, but again, but... see, we won't know. We won't know. We we don't know. Like, if you think of the quality of how every team's like actual like quality is, we, we'll never know what that is because all we can see are is the performance, and the performance is going to be variable. Some teams are just going to play better than their actual intrinsic quality, and some teams are just going to play worse than their actual intrinsic quality. But the only thing we can measure is the performance that we see because we can't see actual intrinsic quality. Gotcha. It's sort of a philosophical concept, but DVOA has always been like the goal of DVOA is to get as close as possible to that actual intrinsic quality concept, but we can't really see it. Like, we can't really know like which team is the best. Like if I, if we played, uh, if I could magically make all 32 teams play a thousand game season, we'd have a much better idea of which team really was the best than in the current 16 game setup. Imagine that. But it, uh, football doesn't work that way. <laughs> very, very, very last thing. I'll let you get out of here on this. Cause you made me think of it when you were talking. DVOA is, is your secret sauce, right? It's your it's your Coke, so to speak, your Coke recipe, so to speak. Do you ever look at some of the other things out there, whether maybe it's Cold Hard Football Facts has their version, you know, their stat above stats. I can't think of what it's called right now. And I'm sure there's some other sites. Do you ever look at them and think, wow, that's pretty interesting. I want to incorporate what they're doing a little bit more. Or you look at what the, maybe what another site, and I'm not looking for you to like talk about anyone specifically. I'm kind of speaking generally here. Or do you ever look at another site or competitor and think like, wow, that that's really not how I want to do it. I like how we're doing it this when, way. When, pro, when, pro football focus, when Pro Football Focus started, so much of their stuff was about the grading. Uh, and right. I was like, this just seems like a lot of bunk. Um, because you don't know what the teams are. You don't know what a player's responsibility is. So for a lot of players, it just doesn't seem like it makes sense to me. Um. But in the last four or five years, they've hired a lot of real analytics people, a lot of real analytics people, and now that they're putting out a lot of really good work, and they're actually analyzing the grades and figuring out when the grades are bunk and when they're not. <laughs> Guys like Eric Eager and Kevin Cole are doing like phenomenal stuff for them, uh, doing real analytics, they're very different from what Pro Football Focus did in its first few years. So. Um, you know, I absolutely pay attention to what they're doing. And, and also all the people on Twitter who are doing stuff with the NFL Scrape Bar package and looking at EPA and stuff. Uh, I think there's a lot of really great stuff out there. Footballoutsiders.com is the website. And, of course, the Football Outsiders Almanac is available now, uh, like we said, on Amazon and on the site, footballoutsiders.com slash store. If you think the Bill Parcells coaching tree is awesome, you should see the Aaron Schatz writing tree 
guys like Bill Barnwell and Mark Tanier and all of the great guys who make the Almanac great every year. I wanted to give them a quick shout out. Uh, thank you so much for doing this every year. I really, really, really appreciate it. Thanks for all the time today. Um, Thanks for having me on, and I hope all your readers will go out and pick up the book if they haven't done it already. I was a little too tall, could have used a few pounds. Tight pants, points, hollering out. She was a black-haired beauty with big dark eyes And points all her own, sudden way up high I want to thank Aaron Schatz for being on the podcast today. Don't forget to check out the uh, Football Outsiders on after 2019. Alright, real quick book club update. Real quick. Um, I don't think we're going to do anything else for the summer. Uh, we'll get back into it in the fall. But what I do want to do uh, between now and September, it's only a couple weeks anyway, is I want to clear the desk of two books uh, as I move my um, Twizzlers here. Uh, one book, these are books that we didn't get to uh, before surgery and all that. Uh, and one is called Brof, On and Off the Ice with John Brophy, one of hockey's most colorful characters. And that's by Greg Inkpen. And I want to talk to Greg. Greg was nice enough to reach out to me, send me this book, and I want to get him on. Uh, I feel bad I didn't before uh, surgery, but I certainly will before we add anything else to the book club. And, of course, the other book that we've been trying to to pin down some time, it's Blake J. Harris, The History of the Future. Excuse me, Oculus, Facebook, and the Revolution that Swept Virtual Reality. Uh, Blake is a friend, and he's reached out and said, just get better, feel better. I hope you're okay, but it's ridiculous I haven't had uh, Blake on yet. And I do have a copy, by the way, of the History of the Future. If you'd like it, you can email me, thesportscasters at gmail.com. What else did I want to mention about the book club? I'm just looking over at my bookshelf, and it's just unbelievable to see all the books. And Oh, one last thing about Blake is there was news during the week that not only is the documentary about console wars getting closer uh, to being a reality, but there's also going to be some kind of episodic television show based on it. And I guess there's a little bit of a bidding war on that right now. So congratulations to Blake on that. If you Google console wars, uh, you could read the story. Seth Rogen and his partner, I know our producers of the documentary. I can't wait to see it. I actually watched a pretty awesome documentary the other day on Netflix called Jack of All Trades about baseball cards and this story about a dad and a son. It's really great. It's unbelievable how you know worthless baseball cards are at this point. Uh, but yeah, I want to just, I'm just, like I said, I'm just looking at the enormity of my bookshelf and all the books on there and all the names and all the guys that came on, guys and gals. I'm looking, I could see a copy of Big Fella. I think of Jane Levy and how amazing it is that Jane Levy is the, you know, the first lady of the Sportscasters podcast that blows my mind. Uh, but with that said, I uh, just wanted to really quickly update that, let you know what's going on. And, um, you know, we'll ramp back up in the fall, too. Obviously, stuff will start to come out uh, as well. All right, let's take a break. Let's come back. Let's talk to Michael Fabiano. 
And then I'll be on the other side of that with one last thing. Update you on everything that went on while I was gone and where my health stands now. Uh, and then that'll be it for, for the return. So let's take a break. We'll be right back with our man, Michael Fabiano. <laughs> Our next guest is in the Fantasy Football Hall of Fame. And he plays fantasy football with the guys from Allison Chains, and he's friends with The Miz. And he's a great dude to take out some time in the busy month of August to join us. A warm spatch catchers welcome to Michael Fabiano. What's up, Michael? How you doing today, buddy? I am good. How are you? Very good. Are you upset with uh, with Brian Cashman? I know they called him a zombie on the, uh, <laughs> on the back pages of the... Uh... So... So here, here's where I'm at with cash. Okay. Did I want the Yankees to add a starting pitcher and or a reliever? Absolutely. Um, especially after what happened to our starters in Boston. Um, that was disheartening. And all the injuries that we've had. But here's, here's where I, I, I had to give them a little bit of a pass. I don't know that another GM in baseball has had as much success making moves in the last two years as Cashman. Luke Voigt was cast off, traded for him. He's been a star with the Yankees. Cameron Mabin grabbed him when we were hurting at the uh, outfield position this season. He's been very good. Gia Urshela, nobody wanted him. Basically got him off the scrap heap, and he's been tremendous. DJ LeMahieu, who is hurt, which has been sort of the story of the season for the Yankees. Everyone's been hurt. LeMahieu right. has been our MVP. Yeah. And it wasn't like he wasn't out there for a while on the free agent market. Other teams could have come in and grabbed them, and, and, and no one did. So, and that's just a few uh, of, the, of the, I mean, get, getting Didi Gregorius several years ago when Jeter retired. Like, it started off horribly, but now Gregorius is one of the best shortstops in baseball. So, I can't, I can't kill Cashman completely because a lot of what he's done has helped us to get where we are right now. Uh, you know, trading Chapman to get uh, Glaber and, and trading Miller to get Frazier uh, a few years back when we weren't in contention. Uh, everything sort of worked out. Now, with that being said, <laughs> I mean, unless Severino's coming back, and I don't know that he is uh, in a starter's role, um, that bullpen is going to be <laughs> is going to be put up against it <laughs> in the postseason. That's for sure. I'm never surprised with the back pages in New York, but. I'm a little surprised they didn't give Cashman a little bit of a longer rope just because of the track record you said. I mean, you got to think that if the trade was there, he would have made it. I mean, I, the zombie thing just felt a little unfair to me. I don't think he was sitting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I heard that. So, so what I was hoping would happen would be that we would trade Frazier to the Diamondbacks, get Robbie Ray, um, and maybe get Archie Bradley and potentially throw a couple of more prospects to the D-backs. But from what I saw, they wanted Frazier and three other prospects for Robbie Ray. Now, Robbie Ray is a nice pitcher, and maybe he would have been nice at Yankee Stadium considering he strikes out a lot of dudes, which means you know fewer fly balls that could potentially be home runs in the bandbox there. But, um, I mean, if Chapman thought that he was getting put over a barrel and he decided, well, I'm just going to stick with what I got, uh, then, then at that point um, I, I wouldn't blame him as much. But I do – 
uh, I, I do feel a little bit disappointed, certainly that the Yanks didn't, uh, didn't get another pitcher, uh, or a reliever, but, um, we'll see how it goes, man. Right now I'm more worried about the injuries because Voight is out. Um, if he needs surgery, he could be out six weeks, but maybe he's been banged up. I mean, it's been ridiculous. We've done this all without Stanton, Severino, Dellen. We'll yeah, see. This started uh, in April with this team and the injuries. So it's it, been ridiculous, dude. Yeah. I mean, like, that's why I've been telling my friends, like, typically I don't get too high on my, on my teams. Even they're doing well. I try to stay even keel, but I've always said this season, this seems like a year of destiny for the Yankees because everything's gone wrong injury wise, everything. And we've still been able to put up one of the best records in baseball. So we're stumbling right now, but we'll see if uh, guys get healthy and we can uh, steady the ship. Well, the baseball trade deadlines pass, and I woke up today, and it's officially August, which is kind of fantasy football draft season, right? Mm-hmm. Like, people are going to draft all month. Um, you know, the weekends get really busy with drafts, and people are trying to find the right day, whatever. I want to ask you kind of a couple of just, like, industry things real quickly first. Like, what are the trends you see in terms of how the game is played? Where is the game going? Like, if we we did this 15 years ago... It would, have been, we, it would have been like, oh, look at PPR starting to creep in versus standard. You know, like, where is the game kind of evolving? Right. Are you seeing a lot of two QBs? Like, what are you seeing um, in the industry as far as how the game is, is moving forward? Well, outside of the whole movement to DFS, which has, you know, sort of happened. Um, right. Separate you're seeing thing. new leagues that are forming in terms of, so best ball leagues have become pretty popular. Um there's this new format. I'm playing in it this year for the first time. And I think if you're a fantasy owner and you're like hardcore like I am, you want to try new things. It's called a guillotine league. I don't know if you've heard of guillotine league now. It hasn't really picked up. It's not super popular. But I feel like it's it's like a fantasy football league and a suicide pool all in one. So 17 people in the league, and it is a 12-roster uh, 12 player rosters. So you have a 12 round draft and it's points only. It's not head to head. So basically in week one, whoever scores the fewest amount of points is out of the league. Right. And all of the players on their roster get put into the free agent pool and everyone has uh, a fab of about thousand dollars. So in week one, if the team that drafted Christian McCaffrey had the fewest amount of points and Christian McCaffrey is available in the second week of the season and you can bid on him. And it's just very interesting to me. And I'm looking forward to, to checking that out. Um, I believe fanball, uh, that's where we're playing uh, uh, this season. I, I, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of uh, products out there that, that run these types of leagues, but uh, it is fun. And in terms of, in terms of the rules and scoring, I mean, we've, we've almost, all going to PPR. In fact, NFL.com is going full point PPR this season for the first time and, and, and will remain a full point PPR. But more people are adding flex positions and removing kickers and some removing defenses. Now, I'm a traditionalist. I love drafting kickers late and defenses. Like it's just part of the game. I feel like kickers get a bad rap. Yes, it can be hard to predict them, but I mean, Greg Zerline was giving me 10 points a game last season. I mean, that's pretty damn good. Uh, and I feel like kickers can uh, help you win a fantasy championship and they are a part of the game. It is called football after <laughs> all. And the, the, um, the move towards additional flex positions 
and even super flex leagues, which if you don't know what that is, you could basically start a quarterback in a flex. Right. And, almost uh, two quarterback leagues. It, it, almost. It, it, uh, exactly. It's yeah. basically like a two quarterback league. Um, and those have become a little more popular. Why? Because the quarterback position is so devalued in fantasy football, not because it's not important, but because it's so deep that um, doing these two QB leagues raises the value of that position somewhat. And um, it, it makes the drafts a little more different, a little more interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm in this dynasty league and I have Breeze, uh, Trubisky, and um, the Rams QB, who's for whatever reason I can't think of his name. Uh, Jared, uh, help me out here. Why can't Jared Goff. Jared Goff, thank you. Jared uh, Goff. Yeah, yeah, those three guys. And it's amazing how the trade market for them was essentially, yeah, you'll probably just cut one. <laughs> like, that was the trade market. Like, hey, how about yeah, John Brown that, for that's one? That's what it is. Nope. <laughs> yep. Okay. It, it is. I mean, you're basically, if you go into a draft thinking, I'm going to get two big-time quarterbacks and attempt to trade one of them, uh, during the course of the regular season, you are going to be severely disappointed in the offers that you get yep. if you get any offers at all. Yeah, that's just how it is. It, it's it's not. It's it's so much different than when back in the day, like when people were drafting Peyton Manning number one overall, they were drafting Brett Favre in the first round uh, as a top five pick. That's not that's not today's NFL. It's become such a quarterback friendly league, and we've got so much talent at quarterback. I mean, at this point. The big names, Brady, Breeze, Roethlisberger, uh, Rivers to a degree, you're looking at younger quarterbacks with very little, if no NFL experience, being drafted ahead of them. Kyler Murray, who I love, Lamar Jackson. There are some very good young quarterbacks out there that showed flashes last season. Josh Allen is another one who looked really good at the end of last season. So I'm in... I'm in leagues where Matthew Stafford, who was typically a top 10 quarterback year in and year out before 2018, isn't being drafted. I've been in drafts where Kirk Cousins isn't drafted. It's very strange. Now, how high are you willing to go with uh, with Mahomes? Because I think that he's kind of this year's outlier to some people. It's going to be a first-round pick in a lot of drafts, but I don't want to be the one, personally, who probably picks him that high. In, in a lot of home leagues, he will be but not in the industry leagues, no leagues that I play in. He probably won't get drafted and maybe the earliest will be the third round. Right. And like, as much as I love Mahomes and he's going to have another huge season, I just can't do it. I can't man. Like I drafting Mahomes would put one of my either running back or wide receiver positions at risk to be a little bit weak. And I'm not willing to do that because if we've learned anything over the years, it's that you can wait on a quarterback and get a damn good one. Hell, if you waited on Mahomes last season, look what happened. Mahomes yeah. wasn't a top 50 pick. He wasn't a top 80 pick. People were waiting on him because we didn't know. We, we liked him. He was one of my favorite sleepers. I didn't expect him to have the best fantasy season of all time. Uh, I mean, and, and if you look back, I mean, Carson Wentz was another one a few years back, late run pick, had a great season. I mean, Matt Ryan. So yeah. it happens all the time. So. It's just a matter of picking out two or three quarterbacks who could fit that bill. And this season, there's a lot of them because everyone's waiting on quarterbacks and the position is, uh, is pretty, pretty fruitful uh, even after the 10th the round uh, because of the way that people are drafting these days. 
One more last thing about the game itself. You're over at NFL.com, of course, and the NFL Network, and you mentioned the move to full PPR. What else is new or different about the game? Why should people – I mean, it is a competitive space, right? Where are we going to run our league? It's question number one when you create one. Mm-hmm. Do we go ESPN? Do we go CBS? Do we do a pace site? Do we do a free site? What is it about NFL.com? I just want to give you a chance to sell the league. Um, I noticed the app looks really fresh and awesome and nice. I was checking it out before we yeah. talked. But uh, talk yeah. a little bit about your game. So, obviously, we are the only product that can give you the video highlights right. of awesome your players too. real time. And I can't talk about the one feature that I think is going to set our app uh, is really, it's going to put it over the top. I will be able to talk about it at some point in the next four weeks. I can't talk about it right now, but I promise you there is a feature in the new app that is so awesome, especially for those people out there. And I'll give you a little hint here uh, who are really deep in the weeds in terms of watching tape. Okay. Uh, you are going to love the feature that we have in the app. I can't wait for it. And the app is new. Admittedly, a couple of seasons ago, the app was subpar. We all knew it. We have built on that and improved it and made it better. We have a lot of people who have worked very hard on this app and it's awesome. It's got, again, it's a, it's got a fresh new look, a uh, new logo that, that, that some people will be able to see uh, now or, or not very shortly. And there are features within the app, more video, more content, uh, easier access to getting information about the players on your team. It's, it's going to be worth it. Uh, so I know it's hard to convince people to move their leagues from one site to another. So even if you don't want to do that, I would still tell you, go out, sign up for an NFL managed league uh, and, and check out the new app uh, because some of the features are going to be very, very cool. Um, and there's going to be a lot of other competitors out there that are wishing they had it. Awesome. Let's talk about if the sportscaster here with Michael Fabiano. A few minutes left, talking fantasy football. It's that time of year, August. Let's talk a little, just for a second about Ezekiel Elliott because I know there's a lot of people out there, you know, the once bitten, twice shy people who are like, I went through this last year with Le'Veon Bell. I'm not doing this again. Uh, how afraid are you of Elliott and his status going into drafts? I honestly think he's going to be back uh, sooner than sooner than later. I, I don't expect him to miss time. The, the it, it's a totally different situation than Le'Veon Bell. It's it's a different situation than Melvin Gordon as well. You know, he's still got two years on his contract. He's got this year and and uh, and, and next season. So and then he wouldn't be a free agent until 2021. The Cowboys typically they're going to pay their players. Okay, I mean we we ran into this back in the early 1990s with Emmett Smith. Right. And he held out a couple of games, Mm -hmm. came back. And then, you know, the Cowboys went on to, to uh, a very successful season. And I don't know that Zeke will miss time. He doesn't have the leverage uh, of, of a Le'Veon from a season ago. And I, and maybe it's just me being a Cowboys fan and being hopeful. I just don't see him missing games. Now, Melvin Gordon and there's a report that came out today that his his uh, his agents have asked for a trade because they weren't happy with what the Chargers' offer has been. Um, 
that one scares me a little bit where I wouldn't be surprised if Gordon did miss regular season games, but there's going to be a time during the course of the season where he's going to have to come back because that will affect his ability uh, to become a free agent. And Gordon, I, I almost, I almost want to see him get traded to the Buccaneers. If he can't play for the chargers, I would love to see him in Tampa Bay with Bruce Arians, because right now they have Ronald Jones and Peyton Barber and neither one of those two running backs is going to excite fantasy owners terribly. But I think Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson would be a pretty decent duo for the chargers. uh, And Eckler would be in the flex starter conversation for fantasy fans and Gordon going to Tampa Bay. He wouldn't miss a beat in terms of his value. So that is a scarier situation, a situation where I do believe uh, Gordon could in fact miss regular season games, not an entire season like Le'Veon, but he could miss regular season games. And um, I, I do think Zeke will be back. Zeke is very important to that Cowboys team. And as far as I know, the relationship with him and the Joneses has been, has been a good one. And they have supported him through his issues off the field uh, his legal issues, and um, I, I, don't, I don't know that this relationship is to the point of being fractured like the Chargers and Gordon relationship appears to be at this point. I still think that Zeke and the Cowboys, uh, they're, they're both, they're, they're on the same page. They just need to make the numbers work, and the Chargers and Gordon are not on the same page. Does that mean that your first round tier, your first tier is at four? Then, like, do you think four is the best value in the draft this year? Because you just get whoever is left out of Kamara, Elliott, um, McCaffrey. McCaffrey. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. who didn't I name? Yep. Is that where you are, that, that fourth? You think that's the best spot? You, you just pick who's left of those big four? It would be nice to get a top four spot. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, my, my guess is that Barkley's going to be the number one pick in just about Barkley, the yep. majority of drafts. Mm-hmm. But. I've been in drafts where Zeke has been number one, although not since the holdout. I've been in drafts where, where Kamara's been number one. I've been in drafts where McCaffrey's been number one. Saquon's typically been the number one guy. So if you are in the top four, uh, I think those four players are locks. Now, I like Le'Veon Bell at five. Is he a lock to be what he was in Pittsburgh uh, two seasons ago? No. But he's going to get a ton of touches, and I think he'll be very good. Um of course, you, you know, you, you do downgrade the offensive line from Pittsburgh to New York, the offense from Pittsburgh to New York, the quarterback in terms of experience, Rob Spurgeon and Darnold, although I do like Darnold as a deep sleeper. Um, but David Johnson, like him, think he's going to have a big season, but he did have a disappointing season in 2018. And you are uh, in an offense with a coach in Cliff Kingsbury, who's never been in that role uh, at, at that level. And then you're looking at, Joe Mixon, who I also really like, you're looking at James Conner, and then you get down into like the Dobbin Cook, Todd Gurley uh, area, and and that's where um, that's where you're talking about second round running backs. How bummed are you on AJ Green? I mean, we're already having injuries; it sucks. Are you? Yeah, it sucks, man. He seems like a good dude. I mean, I don't know him, but he seems like a good dude, and I feel bad for him because these lower leg injuries are becoming. I don't know if I want to use the word chronic, but I mean, it's, yeah. 
he missed time last season. He doesn't even he doesn't even step on a football field in a meaningful game, and he's hurt already. Now you're looking at missing multiple regular season games. Uh, hopefully on the on the on the lower end of of the spectrum, you know, maybe a couple. But with that being said, you already know you're going to miss a few games with AJ Green. But now there's that thought in the back of your mind, well, damn, am I drafting a guy who's just injury prone and he's going to have more issues with his ankle, with his foot, whatever the case may be? Am I drafting a guy who's set up to miss more time during the course of the regular season? So now there's Green has gone from a, wow, I can get AJ Green in the third round and that's a huge value to, wow, it's the fifth round. Should I draft AJ Green? Right. Yeah, it's tough. And you look at guys like, Olsen, you know, not a perfect comparison, but guys who've dealt with these lower foot ankle type injuries and they just never seem to go away. Des Bryant had this issue for a while. It's like they just mm-hmm. seem to linger and linger and linger. It's hard. I think they're hard to bounce back from these types of injuries in season. I feel bad for them too. Yep. Uh, give me a couple I guys. Give me a couple guys on both sides. Guys that you've gotten a lot of shares of uh, in the off season and doing your drafts and guys you noticed you just haven't been a part of very much. Well, I mean, it's a long list on both sides. Um, I have definitely gotten a lot of shares of Damian Williams because I really like his potential in Kansas City. Um, Andy Reid's running backs historically have done very well, and Williams was ridiculously productive at the end of last season after they released Kareem Hunt. Now, he hasn't had a full season of being a true featured back at the NFL level. He's got to prove that he can do that but he's in a position to succeed. I've gotten a lot of Aaron Jones. I've gotten a lot of Kenny Galladay. Uh, Robert Woods is another guy that I've gotten a lot of. I've, I've tried to get Chris Godwin in every draft. And if I don't get Chris Godwin, I'm trying to get DJ Moore because they're both being drafted pretty closely. So it's hard to get both. Right. Uh, both guys. I really like potential breakout wide receivers. Um, I'm getting a bunch of shares of Evan Ingram uh, Hunter Henry and OJ Howard, because those are the three tight ends that are available when I am feel, I feel comfortable drafting tight ends because I'm not going to take Kelsey as great as he is. I'm not going to get Ertz as great as he is. I'm not going to get Kittle. Uh, so uh, I'm getting, I'm getting Henry, OJ, uh, Evan in that, in that, you know, fifth, sixth round range, uh, if, if they're available. Uh, OJ Howard, I've gotten in the seventh. Um, I've got a bunch of shares of Kalen Balaj, which is, is looks like it might work out. We'll see. There's talk of a, a committee situation there um, where he is basically a younger, maybe better Frank Gore. We'll see. Hmm. Um, I've also gotten a bunch of shares of uh, in the in the later rounds, uh, Jared Cook, um, ninth round. If I don't get one of those top five tight ends and, and uh, uh, or top six tight ends because I'm not going to get one of the top three. Uh, I just don't draft tight ends that highly. I, I've probably reached for Kyler Murray in a few uh, mocks because I love him and I think he's going to have a big season. Uh, the players that I'm I'm not getting a lot of shares of, some of which I, I wish I were, uh, I haven't gotten a lot of shares of OBJ, and it's not because I don't think he's going to put up big numbers, but he just hasn't he hasn't been in a position where I could draft him uh, in, in a lot of these mocks. Uh, the players that I'm I'm sort of passing on, uh, I'm getting no shares of Mahomes because I just won't draft a quarterback that soon. 
Um, I'm not getting a lot of shares of Sony Michelle because the, the, the uh, knee continues to be a concern and Damian Harris is there as well. Um, not getting any shares of Allen Robinson. I just don't want him. I, I, I just don't. I just don't know that that Mitch Trubisky is consistent enough to actually make Allen Robinson a reliable fantasy wide receiver. Uh, and he hasn't been for the last couple of seasons. Um, he's been banged up. And then of course, last season, just, it didn't, it didn't work out for him uh, in that, in that, you know, that go around with the bears. And I could be wrong about him this season. And I hope I am because he's a good dude, but um, that one season he had in Jacksonville, that one huge season has been the only big season uh that he's had from a fantasy standpoint uh a couple of other players that i i am not uh grabbing sammy watkins i don't know why there's certain players that either have burned you in the past or you just feel like they're not worth taking a shot on now his adp has dropped ever since tyree kills suspension uh well not suspension that way And uh, so so maybe I'd be a little bit more apt to draft him if he's out there in like the eighth round, but I I really didn't want anything to do with him. Even if he was going to be the number one option in Kansas city, because he was going so high. I just, I don't know. There's just something about, there's something about Sammy Watkins. Uh, I've been burned by him. I'm I'm trying to avoid that. Uh, Jordan Howard is someone that I've avoided. uh, Although he's getting the first team reps with the Eagles. That is going to be a backfield committee, but he has been getting the first team reps. Uh, in camp so i wouldn't be surprised at all if he were the starter um, but you're also looking of course at you know miles sanders uh you're looking at uh you know darren sproles was resigned so there are some you know there, there are some concerns out there that this is going to be a committee situation and doug peterson has sort of run that committee uh in the past in terms of his backfield so Getting any one of those running backs is uh, a it's it's a risk reward uh, uh, scenario. Let's just put it that way. So, uh, and then in terms of I haven't had a lot of shares of Eric Ebron either, and, and it's simply because Ebron had a ridiculous season. Um, I think he had his quote unquote magical season Lots that of he won't be able too. to reproduce. Yeah, fourteen touchdowns. That's yeah. not going to happen again. Right. So I've been I've been avoiding him. Uh, I haven't been getting a lot of Drew Brees. I haven't been getting a lot of Tom Brady. I haven't gotten a lot of Ben Roethlisberger. Um, I'm going with more of the younger guys. I'm going with the Jameis Winstons. Uh, I'm going with the with the Lamar Jacksons, the Kyler Murrays. Those are the players, uh, just to name a few that uh, that I really think can have big seasons. All right, the sportscasters here. We're done. Michael Fabiano, one of the nicest dudes in the business. He's at Michael underscore Fabiano on Twitter. You can follow him there. You can see him on the NFL Network and NFL.com, of course, with their in-app highlights during the season and that awesome feature that I can't wait to find out about when they unleash it on the fantasy world. Michael, let's get you out of here on this. First of all, if there's anything else you want to plug, go ahead. And then second of all, you remember people used to say to us, like, his advice, if you hear nothing today, please hear this. Uh, What would you say to people getting ready for their drafts? If they hear nothing from Michael Fabiano as they prepare to draft, Please hear this. <laughs> well, first off, we will be starting up the show again on NFL.com August 12th. It'll be daily. And then we will be going to NFL Network on September 2nd, five days a week. And we will be live at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, 
bumping right up to NFL total access. So that is a big move for us and it's an exciting move for us. And the show will be everything that you've uh, come to expect it to be. And, and, and even more, it's going to be a lot of fun. It always is a lot of fun. So make sure you check that out. Our podcast on uh, NFL.com will be Mondays and Wednesdays twice a week beginning next week. So you can check that out as well. And you can go to NFL.com and see our draft kit. Um, I've contributed a lot. Marcus Grant, um, Grant Barfield uh, ha- have contributed a whole bunch to the, to the draft kit where you can find rankings. Uh, my rankings are up there, my top 200. If you go to NFL.com slash Michael Fabiano, there's my archive with everything that you're going to need to, to dominate your fantasy football. Uh, drafts coming up and uh if i had to say one thing um about the the upcoming 2019 drafts and i would focus on the quarterback and tight end positions i would say don't reach the positions are both going to be let's say plentiful in the later rounds now there are going to be people out there who are going to take Travis Kelsey in the second round. And I honestly, he's the best tight end in fantasy football. Uh, but if you don't get a Kelsey, if you don't get an Ertz, if you don't get a, a, a George Kittle, uh, if you're not able to get a Hunter Henry or an OJ Howard or an Evan Ingram, there are going to be tight ends in the middle to the late rounds that you're going to be able to draft like a Jared cook, for example, uh, and going even a little bit deeper like a Mark Andrews, like a Vance McDonald, who are in really good positions to have the best seasons that they've ever had. So don't reach at tight end. Don't reach at quarterback either. I've been in drafts where Mahomes has been the only quarterback picked going into the eighth round. (laughs) And then there's a little bit of a run and it's luck and it's Rogers and it's Watson. But, even a guy like Russell Wilson, I have a little bit of concern about him. Last season didn't run the ball nearly as much. Uh, Seahawks are a run first team with Carson and, and Rashad Penny. And, you know, Russell lost Doug Baldwin. So still a very good quarterback, one of the best. I, I'm not drafting him in the in the top 70. Uh, Baker Mayfield, love the upside. Big time breakout guy. He's still not getting picked in the top 70. Quarterbacks who finished in the top 10 last season and – if we look at those quarterbacks, you're going to see several of them who just aren't being drafted until the double-digit rounds. Cam Newton's not getting drafted until the ninth or 10th round. Uh, ben Roethlisberger, he was the QB3 last season, not getting drafted until the double-digit rounds. Matt Ryan, you can get him in probably the eighth or ninth round. Jared Goff, double-digit rounds. Drew Brees, double digits. Dak. Uh, Philip Rivers, these were all the best quarterbacks in fantasy football last season. Double-digit rounds. It, it, so it's it's very important to focus on running backs, wide receivers. Um, if you do get a Kelsey and Ertz or a Kittle, kudos. If you don't, uh, middle rounds, Hunter, OJ, Evan. And even if you punt the position even further, there's still going to be some options out there for you. So and and another thing that I would say when it comes to these two positions is go after the youth, go after the upside, uh, like a Mark Andrews, like a Vance McDonald, who's not as young, but a guy who 
right. is in a really good position to succeed. If you if you really wait on that position, you can draft a Chris Herndon who's got a four game suspension and sit on him. Draft another tight end uh, before that, and again there 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 are plenty out there. Ride another tight end for the first four games, and then when Herndon comes back, you've got a guy who could potentially be a top 10 or 12 tight end from the return of his suspension throughout the, the course of the regular season. So that's, I know people in home leagues love to go after the big names. They love to go after the Brady's and the Roethlisberger's. Uh, they, they love the, the Jimmy Graham's, you know, the big names, the Greg Olson's of the world, the Jordan Reeves. It, it's better to wait. It's better to go after youth. And if you do that, I promise you, your fantasy roster is going to is going to be pretty stacked in the places that it needs to be stacked, and you're still going to be in a very solid position at quarterback and tight end, despite the fact that you waited so long to fill those positions. Michael Fabiano, you're the best in the business. Thank you for so much time in a busy month. I appreciate it, and best of luck to you and all your drafts, buddy. You too, man. Take care. Michael Fabiano and Aaron Schatz for being on the podcast today. I also want to once again send my condolences out to the family of Don Banks and thank Don for everything he did for this podcast. May he rest in peace. All right, we're going to get to one last thing in a second, but before we do, I just want to throw out some plugs. First of all, don't forget about my friend Peter Winson, who is the host of of the podcast greetings from allentown uh the best one-man wrestling podcast in the world you can find out more information at gf allentown pod on twitter he just did an episode about one of my favorite saturday night main event of all time from march of 1987 uh really a great episode make sure you check him out also huge props to my friend adrian dater we talked about him on the last show one last thing He's got his own site. He's covering the abs on his own. For more information on that, it's at Adater on Twitter. Uh, please give him a shout and check him out. Place to be Nation podcast. I've been on that a few times. Please check that out. Uh, just Google Place to be Nation. They are currently doing an 80s song tournament. There's voting every day. It's really fun. Check that out as well. Wanted to get those uh, plugs in. All right. One last thing real quickly. Uh, from me and it's about my health and uh, everything that went on since I've been on last so here's the story basically I was scheduled for surgery at 3 30 on a Thursday so I was told to get there at 1 30 I got there at 1 30 and everything was moving quick at first I registered they walked me over to the surgery waiting room nurse from surgery came in she took me into a bed she introduced herself everything's kind of Moving good and I'm feeling good. And she gets to this warm blanket they want to give you. And I mean, it was 95 degrees outside that day. And I don't like warm blankets anyway. So I'm just kind of like, you know, I really don't want the warm blanket. And she's like, oh, I'm going to have to ask the doctor. So she leaves and she comes back and she's like, yeah, we're not going to worry about that warm blanket right now because the doctor is really far behind. 
Now, my whole mindset, physically, mentally, everything was prepared for surgery at 3.30 on that day. Uh, and she's telling me now that he's in a surgery. He's got another hour left on that. Then he has another surgery that's 90 minutes. And then he's going to get to me. And I'm thinking, this is not good. This is not going to be anytime soon. So I called Tammy into the room and I said, babe, just go do your day. You know, you can come back later and see me later. But right now, there's no reason for us to both be sitting around here waiting. So after Dr. Adams, who's my surgeon, finished the procedure he was in, he came into the room and we signed the consents, con- consents and everything because then the anesthesiologist was able to medicate me a little bit uh, to calm my nerves and, in my mind, hopefully knock me out and help pass the time. Um, and they gave me something that was basically nothing and did pretty much nothing. And I remember just laying there well past five six o'clock eventually the surgery started he was able to do it robotically which was huge uh it took about five hours i think something like that four or five hours uh they i got i know i got back to my room at around 1 a.m uh so you know i needed a four-hour surgery it was scheduled for 3 30 and i didn't get back to my room until 1 a.m so everything was very delayed um, we had made arrangements for my pain control before the surgery. Um, we said I get two milligrams allotted every two hours from after surgery until I left. And they were very good about that. I basically got it every two hours, pretty much literally from probably 3 a.m. You know, uh, that Friday night, right up until 11 o'clock when I left on Saturday, which was like, you know, not three days later, but 10 days later. So I was there for about 10 days. And by all, you know, by all accounts, the surgery was success. I don't have an ileostomy anymore. I don't have a, you know, a bag, which is, I mean, I I could jump up and down right now. to just think about the fact that that's not there anymore. You know, that's amazing to, to not have that, that, the stress that came with it was just really taking a toll on me. And uh, my God, if I ever have to have one full time, uh, I I fear the day. But for right now, uh, he said, you know, compared to obviously when he went in the last time, everything looked really well. And he reconnected me. And, uh, you know, when they do that to you... Um, and you start going to the bathroom again, there's not a lot of time from zero to go. You know, you go from, I don't have to go, I don't have to go, to I have to go, to I have to go uh, really quick. There's been a couple of close calls. But my, I know that happened in 13 too, and my body did adjust to it. But look, Adams was happy with how it went. I'm happy with how it went. The bag is gone. Uh, Paula did pretty well this time, uh, which, you know, was good. She came and seen me a couple of days after. The surgery and was looking and stuff. And I think she only came the one time, maybe twice. You know, it was easier for Tammy to just kind of stop in after work every day, you know, take care of me. Big thank you to my brother, Greg, um, who came a couple times. His family came and then he was nice enough to come up one night that Tammy couldn't and bring me some drinks, keep me hydrated because they don't have much there other than water. Um, 
so huge thanks to Greg, who was really, really great uh, in the whole process. And, you know, when you go through this stuff, I've always said this, your life stops. You know, you're at zero. But everyone else's life is the same or faster, right? Tammy's life was going faster than it was before because I'm not there. So she's trying to fill the void of, of me with Paula every day. She's at a busy time in work right now with her summer program where she's principal. And she was an amazing wife to me. So good. Um, you know, I think this is why we as human beings have partnerships like this because you can't replace the value of someone who is unconditionally there for you despite the fact that I'm not as handsome as I was at 19 um the fact that I'm not as successful as I thought I might be when I was 19 or she thought I might be um she's still there for me you know unconditionally uh and you know, if I'm being honest, you know, my mom has been a little distant the last couple times. And I don't know if maybe it's just hard for her. Um, it's not that I don't have her support, but certainly not like I did in 2003. Um, you know, maybe that's just part of being married that she maybe concedes some of that. But, you know, and my brother Anthony, I mean, he's nowhere to be found. He's off <laughs> living his crazy life. Uh and look at I'm not upset with any of those people. Like I said, my life stops and their lives keep going. And that's really difficult um, for the one whose life has stopped. Because you have nothing to do but, you know, think about why isn't this person here? Why didn't this person call me? Um, and the reality of it when you look back is just that, well, they were busy. They were working. You know, they were taking care of their people or their families or whatever. My mom was working, you know, she was taking care and she did come. She spent a whole day with me in the hospital. She was great. You know, she was, she was great. I don't, I didn't mean that as a negative. I was just saying that she, you know, in 2003 when I was only 23 years old and I wasn't married and, you know, it's different then, you know, than it is now. She didn't do anything wrong. You know, she's, came and spent an afternoon with me a few hours and we talked and you know she just talked about her stuff which was nice you know I wasn't stressing out what was going on with me I got to just forget about it for a couple hours so I didn't mean to put anyone down my mom or Anthony or anyone. everyone was great all my family uh was great but you know Greg special props to him and Tammy uh special props to her uh but as it stands now you know, I just hope that maybe things can just calm down a little bit. It's been a long year. You know, this really started last October when I got the NG tube. Uh, and then, of course, I kind of struggled through Christmas. And then before you know it, it was March and I had the first surgery. And then in the bag and now the second surgery. And it'd be nice just have a few years where I'm not worrying about this every day and, and get back to my life and maybe the lights will start to shine a little bit brighter uh, and I can go back to being a dad and a husband and a brother uh, and be the guy that I always wanted to be not this you know sick kid all the time but um listen thank you to everyone thanks to the listeners who stick with this silly little show 
and allow me to do it. Uh, thanks to everyone who reached out. I really appreciate it. Face the path of